thank you for being brave enough to come back to church. Uh, I'm going to do part two today. Um, last week, I was speaking to those who trip along through life without much thought or maybe any thought at all about the damage that you cause and the debt that you owe God. And you just assume that God loves you and forgives you and that you're basically a good person. Maybe you make some mistakes sometimes, but there's lots of excuses and reasons for those. And you quickly forgive yourself and everybody else should too. Today, I want to talk to those of you on the opposite end of the spectrum who uh, you constantly beat yourselves up for your failures and you are painfully aware of your problems and you have difficulty forgiving yourself or believing that God could or wants to forgive you. You have difficulty believing God loves you. When you heard last week's sermon, if you weren't here last Sunday, I'd invite you to go on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts and, and find our page and, and listen to it. Only bad people get to go to heaven. Some of you who heard it, you, all you heard was failure, failure, and how could God love me? And when you heard last week's sermon, it was really easy for you to admit that your sin is enormous. But I can't grasp why or how God would be just instantly willing to write it off because I've made so many terrible mistakes and I have disobeyed him and I've hurt people and, and I'm a loser and, and how could God love me? That's the people I want to talk to this morning. I actually think that last week's group is a larger group of people, but there are, there are a group of people who have a terrible time believing that you're lovable and that God would forgive you. And there's a blogger I follow named Sam Williamson, and he said, basically, there are only two types of people. There are the easy self-forgivers and the unwilling self-forgivers. The easy self-forgivers don't empathize with other people. They don't feel the injury that they cause. They won't admit that they're wrong because the shame of that would be too much for them to handle. So they're not humble. They refuse to admit, I cause pain, I'm wrong, and they only look at themselves. But then there's the people who are unwilling to forgive themselves, and they don't excuse themselves with any flippancy at all. They lash themselves with the whip of self-incrimination. I am vile, I am rotten, I am a loser, I am unforgivable. But that is still just a form of only looking at yourself. So that's Sam Williamson. I, I say, if Satan can keep us blind to our wrongs, then great. But if he can't, he's going to make sure that that's all that you see. If Satan can keep you blind to your sins so that you never confess and repent, that's what he wants. But if you insist on being humble enough to admit that you're a really bad sinner, then he's going to make sure that you only see that you are a really bad sinner. So some of you deal with self-disgust and even self-loathing. Even though you've heard over and over that God loves you and that Jesus died for you and you know the gospel and you know the Bible story and, and you've heard all of that before, but I... That, the fact that God loves me doesn't mean that I'm lovable, it just means that he's great. Rich Mullins said that when he was in high school and people in his church would tell him, God loves you, he says, that doesn't make me special, he loves everybody. So what? And I want to introduce you to this man who's going to be on the screen. His name is John Newton, he wrote uh, Amazing Grace. And I know that some of you know his story, but for those of you who don't, I'll tell it, but uh, Sarah and my kids like to tease me that the last time I talked about him, I called him Isaac Newton. <laughs> John Newton is the man who wrote Amazing Grace, which we just sang. Before Jesus, he was a slave ship captain who would go to Africa 
and dock his ship on the coast where the local African warlords had gone out and kidnapped their neighboring tribes and they held them in a stockade and then they would line them up and John Newton would buy these, load them in chains on his ship. He would buy 20% more than what he needed to sell in America because he knew that some number of them would die on the way across. So they would overload the ship, they would put them in chains, their feet, their wrists, and their necks, load them in the belly of the ship where they literally sat in their own sewage all the way across the Atlantic Ocean as he came to the Caribbean or the United States. At first, they would intentionally underfeed them to make sure to weed out the weak ones because as as a businessman, he didn't want to get a reputation of selling slaves that died soon after. So we need to weed out the weak ones first. So they would underfeed them, and whoever died, died, throw them overboard. And then, once they got closer to North America, they would feed them well so that they would flesh out, and then he would sell them for big profit. That was his business, making money. The only modern equivalent I can think of is an abortion doctor. That just comes to work every day and sucks babies down on scalpel vacuum. It's just good money. John Newton met Jesus. The story of his salvation is not my point this morning, but he met Jesus. And his eyes were opened to the Lord and to himself. And he saw how great Jesus was and how wicked he was. And early in his Christian walk, he wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet that sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I found I was blind to what I was doing, but now I see it. Hello? Was grace that taught my heart to fear. It was the amazing grace of God that opened his eyes and made him fear because when he was, when he was doing what he was doing, he wasn't, he wasn't afraid of God. He didn't have any shame. I told you last week that it's when we come to Jesus that shame begins. I wasn't ashamed when I was living wild and crazy and selling slaves now that i met jesus he was terribly ashamed but it was the same amazing grace that all of my fears relieved hello but i want to tell you about a letter that he wrote he received a letter from a man and i'll boil the letter down to this for you he's this man wrote john newton and he after hearing amazing grace hearing john newton's testimony of being born again out of slave trade he says mr newton I cannot find forgiveness. I am a terrible man. I just cannot believe that God would forgive me. But you are way worse man than me. How did you find the grace of God to forgive you when I didn't do what you did? How do I forgive myself and how do I find the love of God? I'll read you John Newton's reply. So the first letter is... Mr. Newton, how do I forgive myself? Because you obviously have found forgiveness and I'm not as bad as you. How did you find that? Here's John Newton's reply. You say you feel overwhelmed with guilt and a sense of unworthiness. Indeed, you cannot be too aware of the evil inside of you, but you may be improperly controlled by them. Let me read that again. Mr. Newton, after he's born again, set free from Slave trade, he says, you say you feel overwhelmed with guilt and a sense of unworthiness. Indeed, you cannot be too aware 
of the evils inside of you, but you may be improperly controlled by them. You say it is hard to understand how a holy God would accept such an awful person as yourself. You express not only a low opinion of yourself, which is right, but also too low an opinion of the Redeemer, which is wrong. Amen. Mr. Newton's reply, you say it is hard to understand how a holy God could accept such an awful person as yourself. You express not only a low opinion of yourself, which is right, but also too low an opinion of the Redeemer, which is wrong. When I look at your list, and what his list, he's, what he's referring to is this list of sins this man's done that he doesn't believe God can forgive him for. He can't get over in his own conscience. You with me? He says, when I look at your list, it's full of self-righteousness and unbelief and pride, and they are little better than the worst evils you complain of. Mr. Newton says, you saying God can't forgive me for this is as bad as what you did in the first place. It's unbelief and pride. Jesus' blood is more powerful than your sin. It really is. God is bigger than your sin. It is actually an insult to God to think that you can't be forgiven. You're claiming that you are more powerful than Jesus. What I did bad is bigger than what Jesus did good. Come on. That's not, it can't be remotely true. So it sounds like humility to say, oh, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. How could God love me? It's actually pride because you're making yourself bigger than Jesus. Come on. When the Bible tells you that God loves you, it actually means it. He loves you. He forgives you. He wants to. He isn't, it isn't some disinterested goodness that he was good because he had to be. Or he was merciful because it's right. Or he forgave you because it was the only option. He wants to forgive you. He loves you. But I know that some of you, you've heard all that before. You've heard the gospel you know about God's love. You've heard it over and over and over again, but it hasn't somehow, it just, it hasn't got to you. You've heard about Jesus' blood and forgiveness and all that. You still have this terrible time believing that you have value or how could God love me here? How could I be of any use to him? How could he forgive me because I've screwed up so terribly? Every good thing I want to do, I don't get it done and every bad thing I don't want to do, that's what I do. How will he ever be pleased with me? Well, I have a Bible story for you. I want to take you to the parable of the talents. Last week we looked at a parable of talents. We're going to look at a, a different parable of talents today. For Matthew 25, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Those of you who were here last week, what is a talent? Sixty pounds of gold. Okay? We're just rounding for math. Sixty pounds of gold. A bar of gold that weighs sixty pounds. That's big. Okay? That's a lot of value. So Jesus is the Lord in the story, and we are his servants, and he delivers to one uh, five talents, which would be 300 pounds of gold, another two talents, which is 120 pounds of gold, and to another one, which is 60, 60 pounds of gold, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. And then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them. Traded means he did business. He invested, 
he bought and sold and shipped and mailed and Etsy'd and Amazoned and eBayed and and he doubled Jesus' money. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two, and look, I have gained two more besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. And there you have what is yours. So this man didn't do anything for his Lord, his king. He didn't rob anything. He gave it all back. But he didn't do anything with it in the meantime. And Jesus says, the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have at least received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the the first two guys, they have different skills, Jesus said, each according to his own intelligence, his own skill in this parable and the one we read last week, which we're going to review in just a minute. Both of these parables, Jesus uses money to quantify our souls. Um, And it's just an amazing coincidence, actually, that the money was called a talent but in every sermon you've heard, it literally means your talents, like your artistic ability and your intelligence and the way you serve the Lord. That's his deposit in you. That, that irony only works in English. It doesn't work in other languages. Jesus has deposited these talents in you, and he wants you to use them for his kingdom, for his profit. And when he comes back, you'll either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or you wicked and lazy servant. The first two guys... Different amounts of profit, different amounts of return, but Jesus is pleased. I just really want to focus on the third guy. He says, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. He says, Jesus, you're hard to please. I don't know if I could ever make you happy. I don't know if you really wanted me to be your servant. Hello? I don't believe you could ever forgive me for what I did. Hear it? Here's this man. And so I was afraid. I was afraid you didn't really love me. I was afraid you never forgave me. I was was afraid that, yeah, you're good, but I wasn't really sure you liked me. So I didn't want to do anything wrong, so I just didn't do nothing. And Jesus is not happy. This guy says, Jesus, you're a hard-to-please guy. And it made me afraid. And you know what? Jesus does not dispute him. Jesus doesn't say, no, I'm a really easy guy to please. 
Jesus says, huh, you think I'm hard to please? Why didn't you act accordingly? Be bold. Make a profit for me. Hello? Okay, now listen, listen. Hang with me here. Jesus is a brilliant businessman who cares about profit. Does he not? Does this parable not say? It's about profit. Hello? I want a return on what I gave you. So the first two guys give him a profit and he's pleased. The last guy doesn't profit him anything and he's angry. He's a, Jesus is a brilliant investor. He is the smart and he's the creator. On judgment day, when Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett stands in front of Jesus and their whole life is on display for the rest of us to look at, Jesus isn't going to tell Warren Buffett, oh yeah, you remember that one time in 2017 when you made that investment decision? That was brilliant. I really learned a lot from you. Come on. Elon Musk has nothing to teach Jesus. Carlos Slim, the Middle Eastern oil magnets, the Chinese bazillionaires, Jesus is smarter than all of them put together. Jesus is a brilliant businessman. He doesn't make stupid investments. He wants a profit. He wants a return on what he's done. Hang with me. Smart investors don't make sentimental decisions. Sentiment gets people in trouble with their stock portfolio or their house or their car. You know Dave Ramsey, cash is king and debt is dumb. Don't make emotional decisions. Oh, I really, 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 really want that Jeep. So we're going to make payments on it. That would be an emotional decision, not a smart one. Hello? I had a banker tell me once people make the dumbest decisions with their houses because they're sentimental about them. If you can make money, sell it. Buy another one and fix it up. Make money again. Investors don't make sentimental decisions. They make smart decisions. They, and they're always looking for something that they can buy low and sell high. Stocks or real estate. That's how Trump made his bazillions. Buy low and sell high. Now to the parable we went to last week. For those of you who weren't here, just a really quick review. Matthew 18. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who went to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one who was brought to him owed him 10,000 talents. You were here last Sunday. How much is 10,000 talents? Speak up. That's 300 tons of gold. 600,000 pounds worth $16 billion this guy owes his king. $16 billion this guy owes his king. And then the parable, obviously the king is God and the servant is me. It's, and the debt is my sin. $16 billion. But he was not able to pay. And his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. And the payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave the debt. That's God forgiving you. Hello? I forgive the debt. But I'm talking to those of you who have trouble believing you're forgiven. You've heard about the love of God. You've heard about the blood of Jesus. You know about the cross. You've heard the gospel. You sing that God is good, but somehow it hasn't, gotten into, it hasn't clicked in your head or your heart yet. I want to try a new tactic on you. I'm going to try to give you a new way to think about this. Jesus is the smartest investor ever. He is a brilliant businessman that does not make sentimental, emotional decisions. He makes profitable decisions. So he's rummaging through 
the junk pile at an antique store. How many years ago did you get born again? Five, six, seven years ago? Five years ago. He's like, there's something in there. Somebody thought it was junk. I'm a buy low and sell high guy. What's the price on this one? Father, can we buy this one? Look, there's a soul in there that has value. God, Dad, what's the price on it? Well, that one's in foreclosure. I mean, there's a lot of back bills. Uh, that'll be $16 billion. That's all? Whoa! Hey, look at it. There's one right next to it. There's another one. Somebody threw in the trash. Look at that. That's treasure. God, Dad, how much is this one? Well, he's sold to Satan too. And there's a, there, he's in foreclosure. And there, there's a lot of really, really big bills. It's, it'll be $16 billion too. That's all? Whoa! This is fire sale prices. Only $16 billion a piece? I'll take them all, God. Come on. He's not making that decision sentimentally. He's not doing it stupid. It's profitable for his kingdom because you're worth more than $16 billion. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You've lost in the transaction. You are worth more than the entire planet. And Jesus doesn't make sentimental decisions because he's nice. Yes, he's nice. Yes, he loves you. And he really wants you, but I'm trying to tell those of you who aren't convinced that he really does. He doesn't make stupid decisions. He buys low. Finds undervalued treasure. Only $16 billion apiece. Absolutely, I want them all. Come on. Would you trade your blood for junk? Seriously. He did not trade his blood for trash. He traded his blood for treasure. Because he was going to get something worth more than what he paid. If you have any other thought of Jesus' sentimentality or his niceness, you're insulting his intelligence. He's a treasure hunter. I don't even know all those TV shows. The pawnbrokers and the storage unit guys. and I mean, he's digging through the trash, finding the stuff that he's like, oh man, that's really dirty. But, whoo, shine that up a little bit. There's a diamond right there that somebody missed. And it's you. Malachi 3.17 is not on the screen, but it says that God, in that day, meaning referring to the day of the Lord, the day Jesus returns, he says, on that day I will make you my jewels. You are truly that valuable to God, to Jesus. $16 billion worth. God didn't just write it off to be nice. Somebody had to pay it. And Jesus paid it for the joy set before him. Joy. Not begrudging. Not I'll be nice because I have to. Not I have to forgive these people because it's the only option. I love you. I want to pay this price because it's a steal of a deal to get your soul. Amazing grace. Amazing. 
I was a wretch. I am a wretch. We say with Paul, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. We cannot be too aware of the evil that lives inside of us. But we can also not be too aware of how much God has forgiven and loves us. And joyfully so. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the blood that you gave to ransom us, to pay the debt that we owed, and that you find value and profit in that transaction. Thank you for valuing our souls more than your life, more than all the world. Your grace is amazing. Absolutely amazing. The price, the value that you paid, the absurd price that you paid for all of us. Joyfully, willingly, lovingly, with compassion. Lord, I pray for anyone here whose mind or heart does not yet know you as Savior and Forgiver, Redeemer. I pray for those who, who do know that that's true but have just never been able to feel it, never been able to grasp that you actually love them and that you forgive them when they confess. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister the peace that passes understanding, the joy of the Lord. Lord, we see your word and we believe that you are a genius businessman, a genius investor, and you chose to purchase us. You called us. You chose us. What a terrifying thing that we might not have been chosen, but we are. Thank you for choosing us. That proves that your word is true, that you are faithful, that you want to forgive us and love us and wash us clean and make us your pure and holy bride. I bless every person here, peace and joy, knowing the forgiveness of God, a clean conscience, walk in true humility, able to quickly confess sin and quickly receive forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.